Um, so, uh, as was mentioned, this morning is Shabbat Korach, and uh, I wanted to share some words with you about our Torah portion. The Parsha begins, in essence, or at least the, 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 the drama of the Parsha begins with the following. You have gone too far, for all the community are holy, all of them, and the eternal is in their midst. Why then do you, Moses, raise yourselves above the eternal's congregation? Thus says Korah, the instigator of a great rebellion against Moses in this morning's Torah portion, and so begins one of the most problematic episodes in the Torah, filled with problematic episodes. Korah challenges Moses' authority, and Moses demurs and says, I'm only doing what God asked me to do. If you want to be the leader, Korach, then let's put it before God and see who God chooses. That's a loose translation. The next day, God makes God's choice and kills Korach and his followers with an earthquake and a plague. There hasn't been an earthquake lately, I think. Pretty much the fantasy of every extremist opposition party or movement on the planet takes place in that moment. If only the blank fill in the blank would be wiped off the face of the earth, then we could have the country we want, then we could have the society we want, then we could have whatever. Or as I explained to my wedding couples when we do premarital counseling, relationships would be so much easier if they didn't involve other people. But of course they do. They do involve other people and only in the Torah or in horribly totalitarian regimes do those who we disagree with or who disagree with us get wiped off the face of the earth by divine fiat. I would say, thank God, but that obscures who does the wiping off the face of the earth in this particular instance. And so the question really is, what did Korach do that was so wrong that it deserved that he and all of his followers be killed by earthquake and plague? My short answer is that they shouldn't have been killed for their rebellion, at least not by divine hand. But let's go back to the question. What was so bad about what Korach did? On the eve of the revelation at Mount Sinai, God calls to Moses and tells him to inform the people of Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. That's from Exodus chapter 19, well before this incident. Korach's tragic error, according to philosopher Martin Buber, was to misread that verse in Exodus 19. Korach reads the verse as descriptive, the people are already holy, he reads it. Each one in the presence of God is within each one. They therefore have no need of instruction, authority, or further spiritual growth. Buber goes on to explain, both Moses and Korach desired the people to be the people of Adonai, of a holy people of God. But for Moses, this was the goal. In order to reach it, generation after generation had to choose again and again. For Korach, it was the destination. For Korach and the people, as being the people of God, they were already holy. They had been chosen by God, and God dwelled in their midst. So why should there be further need of ways of choice, ways and choice? The people was holy just as it was, and all those within it were holy just as they were. That's Martin Buber. What Korach is advocating is rights and privileges based on privilege the privilege of being born to a certain people. We could call it holy privileges. Because of what his ancestors did in their time, because of how they acted with God through covenantal relationship, Korach argues that the holiness is passed down the door of Ador, 
from generation to generation without them having to do what those before them had done to earn such a privilege. There are obvious correlations for us today. Indeed, I can't read the Torah this morning without seeing the lessons of Korach for today. I can't ignore its lessons. One, with regard to white privilege and how it continues to contribute to systemic racism. And another concerning American exceptionalism, which posits that America is great or will be great again, through divine right, not the hard incremental work of continually renewing democracy and the social contract. This is most frustratingly self-evident, I think, in the contrast that we've been focused on these last few days between how Canada and the United States or the United States and the rest of the world have approached the containment of the coronavirus and public health in general. But there are many examples. What is lacking in Korach and in the United States today is humility, a self-awareness that you don't have all the answers, that we always have something to learn. And to quote a passage from Mishnah that is on the Atara, the collar of my talit that I wear at the synagogue, Ezahu chacham, halomed mikol adam, who is wise? The one or the nation that learns from all people. You see, Moses, Moses had humility. For him, being the leader of the people was not a privilege. It was a sacred responsibility to God and to the people that he led to get it right. It was not about him. It was about us. Moses responds to Korach, more or less, in saying, maybe you're right, and you should be the leader. I'm just doing what God told me to do. Let's ask God and see who God wants. And it's there that God should have made God's choice known and let the people work out the details. But God responds with rage and with anger, very human emotions, dangerous in the hands of an omnipotent deity. The line from Spider-Man would have been helpful here. With great power comes great responsibility. But I don't think Spider-Man was a commentator on the Torah. But I think that God misreads the moment and misreads what is required. The conflict between Moses and Korach was not one of personality or the centralization of spiritual authority. Rather, it was the inability of Korach to imagine that he and the community still needed to spiritually grow. As Buber taught, not being but becoming is our task. And although the realization of the divine on earth has its beginning in the life of the individual, it is consummated only in the life of true community. The story of Jewish peoplehood has always been complicated by two different stories, two different perspectives the covenant of being and the covenant of becoming. In the covenant of being, which is Korach's perspective, Jews are defined by who we are and not by what we do. In this ethnic familial identity, Jewishness is permanent and it's unconditional. The second is the story of the covenant of becoming, which clarifies Jewishness in opposite terms. As a people whose identity is expressed precisely in terms of what we do and what we believe a people who aspire to live a life of meaning and greatness, and this is Moses' approach. Yes, we are God's chosen people, but that only gets you a ticket for entry. Once inside the covenant, you have to earn that designation through deeds, through holy acts. The question always comes up when reading this parsha: why did God choose to kill Korach and his followers rather than tolerate difference in the community? And it's here, I think, is an example of where the Torah teaches us the danger of fanaticism. 
not on the side of Korah or even on the side of Moses, but as concerning the actions attributed to God. Korah should not have died for his sin of hubris and egotism. Rather, the story would have been even more powerful and more relevant today if he and his descendants were still in the picture for the next 40 years of wandering in the desert. Not only more powerful, but more realistic. Because as we see today, those that expressed indignance did not get swallowed up by the earth as happens in the biblical story. They stick around. Their grievances, when not addressed, fester and grow, and ultimately, as we are seeing, they boil over. You can't push them out. You have to deal with them and find a way to live together. It's true in Canada. It's true between left and right and black and white and red and blue in the U.S. and all over the world. It's true in Israel as the Netanyahu government moves closer towards annexation of the West Bank. In Judaism, the covenant of being, which was Korach's position, ultimately obligates tolerance and acceptance of others. In the covenant of being, regardless of who you are as a person and what you do, your Jewishness is maintained. Jewishness is larger and broader than simply a system of faith, belief, and actions. There are no good Jews or bad Jews. There are just Jews just as there are all human beings. Everyone is equal with a guaranteed place at the Jewish people's table. Jewish identity is permanent and unconditional, and there is nothing any individual can do to alter one's membership status. This applies not only to those born into the family, but to converts as well. Once a Jew, even if for only a minute, you're always a Jew. The Talmud formulates this idea of Jewishness as, as beingness through the pronouncement from Sanhedrin, from the Talmud, even though they have sinned, they are still Israel. Since all Jews remain members in full standing, regardless of what they do or believe, we are obligated to live with difference, to accommodate difference as an expression of our commitment to the covenant. Both God and Moses missed that. In many ways, Korach, even though his motivations were self-serving, saw the challenge in a Judaism of being. I'm here. I have my views, and you have to deal with them. You cannot silence me and still be holy, and certainly you can't kill me and still be holy for what I think or express. In the covenant of becoming, the position of Moses, Jews are defined by what they do. And in this mission-based aspirational Jewishness, identity is shaped around shared beliefs and practices. It is in the response to this calling that Jewish identity is endowed with purpose and is transformed from an accident or a privilege of birth into a choice and a mission to create a life of value and a just society. You are not born great or born privileged. You are born, according to Jewish tradition, Kadai. You are born worthy of greatness, worthy of privilege. Everyone is, but you have to earn holiness. The covenant of becoming expects of the Jewish people excellence, nothing short of the emulation of God, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the expectation. The insight of our Torah that it gives us this morning is not that those who espouse privilege and exceptionalism by right of birth should be cast out from the community. While people may be removed, those ways of thinking will remain, and the seeds planted will grow, as we've seen. Rather, Korach and his followers need to be heard. The community must address their grievances, their perspective through dialogue, through shared learning and compromise. We work tirelessly to address these differences through peaceful means 
and shared values. But sometimes there needs to be protest and sometimes there is conflict and sometimes that conflict even leads to violence as human beings try to restore what we cannot, try to resolve what we cannot agree upon. But when the shouting and the fighting is over, there must be one more thing. It's a holy thing. There must be reconciliation. We have to learn to live with difference. It's an essential part of what it means to be holy. It is, I think, what it means to be holy. We need both stories of the Jewish people. We need the story of being and becoming. We need Korach and Moses. And honestly, God should stay out of it. Can you hear may it be God's will. Shabbat Shalom.